Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Tom Marzoff. Tom is a senior design associate with Fazio Design. And wow, there's a lot to unpack in this podcast. Tom's going to discuss numerous things, including his recent restoration work at a classic club in Pittsburgh, his experiences working on tournament courses, the life cycle of golf courses, how he met Tom Fazio, his family's history in the, the game, and what his thoughts are about how his career has progressed working for a huge golf course architecture firm. But before we get going with Tom, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. We're glad to have them on board, and we're glad that Tom was able to take some time to join us. Well, Tom, it's great to have you on the podcast. Glad we were able to pin you down and you have some time for this. And the first thing I wanted to ask you, and we have a lot of topics to cover here, is that you recently completed a restoration on a Seth Rainer design golf course called Fox Chapel Golf Club in suburban Pittsburgh. What type of opportunity is it for somebody in your profession to work on a Seth Rainer design? Well, as you know, it's a beautiful course and a great membership. And you know, I was charged with helping the club as they looked at uh, how, you know how to take care of the golf course, and you know how we do that. We evolved to doing master planning, so uh, we formed a member committee. Um, we, the club, kind of outlined their goals of what they felt was important. And you know, Seth Rayner is so popular right now, and Seth Rayner designing that golf course and opening it in, in 1925. I think that's the story of the club. That's the great design of the golf course. It fits the terrain. It's a wonderful routing. Seth Rayner did an excellent job, and of course, all clubs, you know, over time, things get changed on a golf course just from year to year and going through the golf seasons and different folks involved, and I think this group of human beings wanted to put the golf course back to Rayner, so it was a unique opportunity for us at Fazio Design to help the club uh, study the history, find the original design information, and, and put it back on the ground, so... It was a lot of fun. It was a change of pace for me um, to, because the Rainer style is is an interesting bunker. It's an interesting form. It's an interesting shape, and the, you know, a lot of the greens are open in the front. Where you can roll the ball up onto the green, and and so it was, it was a lot of fun to to put the history back on the ground and help the club proceed with with their goal of restoration. Tom, you've seen a lot in your career. What was it like completing a big restoration like this during a year like 2020? Oh pandemic has been tough and tough on contractors and tough on clubs and you know hats off to the contractor that helped us do this nmp mario poye um his company was there on site and you know wore masks every day and worked hard and and you know difficult working situation with the early stages of the pandemic we we had started earlier in the year and were back to work and then immediately the, the governor shut the state down and that included golf for a little while so the contractor had to leave the site and then we had to go at it again once we were allowed to go back so retooling the job um, we lost time uh, club still needed to get it done by the end of the year so the contractor increased staffing and it just made sense for me to help get it done by just with the travel issues with the COVID-19 and trying to eliminate touch points I just moved to Pittsburgh I thought it be easier just get an apartment be on site every day and and you know the club was going to allow us to work on a lot of golf holes at the same time so it would just made sense to be there every day so we adapted to it we changed and we had a lot of talent on site and 
work went quickly. We we went through the golf holes quickly. The the weather cooperated, guy, and it stopped raining when we went back to work. And we had very little delay at all from weather, and, and it was difficult for Jason Hurwitz and his team, the golf course superintendent there, to keep the turf alive because it was so dry and the ground got powder and dry. So Jason and his crew did an excellent job of overseeing the whole project and, and helping with the difficulties of the pandemic and keeping the turf excellent so the, that finished up well the members are enjoying playing the golf course and uh, it's back in great shape and you know a lot of positive comments to see the rainer design concepts back on the ground on each and every hole so you're speaking to a native pittsburgher here i haven't lived there for two decades but what was it like picking up and moving to pittsburgh and what did you learn about about that region or did you even have any time to do anything besides this project I've been fortunate to get to spend a lot of time in Pittsburgh over the years and, you know, know the city well and a Pittsburgh Pirates fan and Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So that was fun to return to Pittsburgh. Um, You know, I did help out. Uh, I started with Oakmont in 1999 and Tom Fazio and I were hired to come back to Oakmont to help with restoration of the golf course. And so we spent a lot of time there and a lot of construction and, and, you know, wintertime construction working at Oakmont, uh, tooling the golf course for an amateur and a women's open and two U.S. men's open. So uh, familiar with the area, um, you know, just across the river is Fox Chapel. So, uh, you know, you love Pittsburgh. It's a, a great town, great city, has a great feel to it, uh, a lot of great restaurants, a lot of great food. And so I just was, you know, looking forward to the opportunity to be back at, at Pittsburgh. So, I got an apartment right near the job on the Allegheny River and, uh, you know, five minutes from the club and uh, had a great summer. It was a lot of fun to be there at Help Fox Chapel. Here we are. We're five minutes into this, and we've talked about Fox Chapel and Oakmont, which are two classic courses. I think a lot of people, when they hear Fazio design, think you only do new golf courses. That, that certainly hasn't been the case throughout your nearly four decades there, Tom. That's right. You know, Tom Fazio has uh, been blessed in his career with a great knowledge of strategy in the game and tom has been asked by many many clubs to come in and help them you know prepare for golf tournaments and and past u.s opens in his career and so i started working with tom uh, in 1983 um, one of my passions was always tournament golf and i you know i asked tom and, and as as we worked together over many years you know could we get more involved in tournaments and 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 that became a focus in my career. So I just really want to thank Tom for, you know, allowing me to pursue these types of events and along with all of our new golf courses. Um, you know, the company, Tom's done over 240 golf courses in, in his career, starting out with George Fazio, who began the company. George was Tom's uncle. You know, since my time on, on uh, with the company in 1983, um, you know, I've helped Tom with 82 golf courses, so it's been a pleasure to be together and travel and go to new sites, walk the land, figure out where the golf holes are going to go, work through the permitting process, draw all the plans, and then start the construction and, and follow that up with uh, Tom Fazio. He uh, has one of the greatest minds in golf, uh, understanding of the game at the highest level, and then also understanding the importance of making a golf course enjoyable to play. Uh, fun to play, you know, maybe look strong, look hard, but play a little easier in, in terms of where we locate hazards and where we place features when we're routing golf courses on new sites. So I'd say that 
the secret to Tom's career has been his, his ability to route golf courses on land and get the holes in the right place to begin with, and then you have a great chance to build 18 quality golf holes. There's some incredible history with Tom's family and your family, but before we get to that, when you work on these golf courses that are hosting big televised tournaments, how do you balance the needs of that tournament with what the, the membership's going to have when that tournament eventually leaves town? That's the tough part, Guy. I mean, it is very difficult, the role of a golf course architect. When you come in to say, and every event's a little different, but let's just say the U.S. Open as an example um, for your question there. You know, when working to help the United States Golf Association prepare for their championship on the host course, the USGA plays the lead. The contract for the U.S. Open is structured to where you know they're allowed to make adjustments to the golf course. They're allowed to control with the fairways. You have to listen to the USGA, and you need to do what they need done for their championship to defend par in the event. So difficult role, Guy, for a golf course architect because, uh, as you mentioned, you, you, you go in and toughen up every hole, you sharpen it up, you narrow fairways, you move bunkers, and you're going to grow thick, heavy, rough, and turf. So you get to a point where the golf course, each and every hole, gets harder and harder so that it can host you know, the greatest championship in the game, the U.S. Open, which is the, you know, meant to be the toughest test of the year by design by the USGA. So that that job, that role, can actually put you sideways with the membership that you're working for at the club because the golf course can get so strong that uh, you know, they alienate some of the members uh, from their own course that they're playing. So it's a tough balance. Um, it's it's hard to, to do both roles um, because the golf course is going to get stronger. It is going to get tougher. How did you meet Tom Fazio? Oh, it's interesting. I... As a child, we moved around a lot, and one of the places we lived was in Philadelphia area as a child, and I knew of George Fazio. George had done some golf courses and started in uh, Conshohocken, Pennsylvania area, where Tom Fazio was from, just suburb area outside, a little west of Philadelphia. I was, uh, I grew up in Jenkintown area on the kind of north and east side of Philly, so I was familiar with the Fazio name and knew all about George and liked the golf courses, just having seen them and played them and um, you know, thought that they did a great job. And uh, my focus in college, I was studying to become a golf course architect. I'd made up my mind, really, in the sixth grade that I wanted to be a golf course architect. And to help me in my endeavor to meet Tom Fazio and hopefully work for the firm someday um, as part of my college thesis at Virginia Tech in landscape architecture. I did a project on golf course design and construction. And I wrote to the Fazio office and asked Tom Fazio, could I have the plans for the course he had just finished at uh, Pinehurst number 6. Um, I had been going to Pinehurst for golf camps, and I saw the Fazio team put Pinehurst number six on the ground. And so I, I thought, well, how about I do my college thesis and redesign a golf course on top of that same site with the hopes that when I go into the office someday to interview for a job after college that uh, they might spend five more minutes with me uh, because they're familiar with the site and they might have some interest to look at what I've done. So that was my move in college was to 
target the Fazios. I really wanted to work for them because I liked their golf courses. And and so after college, um, you know, interviewed with Tom, and we it went really well. And he did look at my thesis and of Piner's number six, and um, you know, was fortunate to in 1983 to get offered a job and, and mentor and start with Tom Fazio. So you know, what a great human being, what a nice person, what a what a great teacher Tom Fazio is. He, I think the success of our company, all the people that work for Tom have been taught by Tom and spent a lot of time with him. And uh, you, you quickly pick up on what is important and how to be able to think and talk to clients and help clients meet their goals for golf. So you were in college, you identified the firm that you wanted to, to work for, and you landed an interview with them. How nervous were you during this interview? Well, it was interesting. Um, I, you know, to get a job in this business, is, as you know, guy is tough, and there's, you know, it's not a lot of jobs. And I had, I'd hoped that the Fazio firm would be my, my place of employment, but as a college student coming out of school, you got to be ready to, to go to work and work for anybody. So... I wrote to the American Society of Golf Course Architects back, and this is the days where no email, of course, in in eighties, early eighties. So I got the list and the names of every golf course architect that was an ASGCA member. I got their addresses. I had this little booklet that had the names and addresses, and I figured, well, I'm going to go interview with this group of people. And it was a tough time in golf in 1983. There was like 82 golf courses built that year. There was a little high interest rate, and no one was really hiring. So I set out to just walk in the door at offices, a cold call, and just show up with my drawings, my college thesis on a golf course, and just try to get a job. And so I literally um, took off and interviewed I drove, I was living with my father in Alexandria, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, and got in a car, took my drawings and my golf clubs and my ASGCA list of names and addresses and drove and took off and you know did 32 job interviews over six weeks, met with a lot of golf architects, and you know, many places I just show up in the town, find the place, you had maps then, you didn't, you didn't have the app on your phone to get you there, you had to you know, find the address and drive to it and just knock on the door and hope they'll talk to you. Um, so a great experience in my life. I, I walked into a lot of great golf architecture firms, sat down, got to see how they work. And it was a great experience for me just to see all the companies. Um, I went, uh, you know, went to New Orleans. I went to Miami and back again and every point in between and just drove and drove and drove and uh, uh, was lucky enough to get offered a job from Tom Fazio. Did you and your father stop and play any golf along the way on that journey? <laughs> I was my my dad and I played a lot of golf growing up, and you know, God bless my father for teaching me the game and you know putting a club in my hands and 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 helping me all through my life. I was by myself on that particular trip. I just I just went off by myself. But uh, gosh, my father and I, you know, um, we were always members at clubs and and would always play weekend golf together and. You know, great experience learning the game from my father. My dad played college golf at Notre Dame, four years at Notre Dame, and was a good player. And uh, he uh, he worked in social work, helping people all his life. He worked for United Way of America. And you come from an awesome golf lineage. It's just not your father that played the game at a high level. Tell our listeners who your grandfather was and who some of your other relatives were and how that, how that shaped your career. Oh, sure. Thank you very much, Art. 
our family, the Marzal family, we immigrated into the country from Alsace-Lorraine in, in France, um, near the French-German border. Our family uh, is in the wine business, actually makes wine, and that vineyard is still there where our family came from. We immig- immigrated into the country through Ellis Island, um, and our family ended up moving from Ellis Island into Buffalo, New York. And uh, my great-grandfather was Edward Marzoff. Edward had... Uh, five sons and a daughter, and all of those people in that family got in the golf business. Edward, my great-grandfather, was a golf course superintendent and was at the uh, 1912 uh, U.S. Open in Buffalo, New York, and was superintendent there. And then he later moved to to St. Louis and was working there when he passed away in 1930. He was prepping the course for the year that uh, Bobby Jones won one leg of the Grand Slam at his course in, in St. Louis. So Edward had a great career as a as a superintendent and uh, always had that tie to the game and, and an interest in turf through my great-grandfather. Um, my grandfather, Francis Marzoff, was a club pro. He was, lived in the Columbus, Ohio area. He was past uh, coach for a period of time at Ohio State on the golf team there. Um, Francis uh, worked for McGregor Golf. He designed golf clubs for McGregor in Cincinnati, and before that, he uh, made clubs for Burke Golf in Newark, Ohio, which is a little east of Columbus. So Francis had a great career. He played in the U.S. Open. He, he, he played in the PGA. He was past president of the Southern Ohio section and uh, was a great help to me in my life, um, You know, always sending us clubs that Francis had made. Um, my dad, again, I mentioned, was at Notre Dame and played college golf, and, and my mother, Rita, Marzoff. She went to Ohio State University, played on the ladies' team there. Um, so both my parents, you know, played collegiate golf. Um, my dad's sister, Ellen Marzoff, now Ellen Marzoff Hallerman, Ellen uh, played for Ohio State, and she won the first ever women's college golf championship at Ohio State. Um, her team went on to win three out of four years, and uh, at the Scarlet Course at Ohio State, there's nine plaques by the first tee, and and uh, God bless my Aunt Ellen. She's on three of those plaques and was a great player, probably the best player in the family. Um, and then other other interesting parts of my family, my, my grandfather Francis had a sister, Bernadine Marzoff, and she married, Bernadine married Charlie Lorms. Charlie was pro at Inverness Golf Club in 1920 when they hosted the U.S. Open there. Charles went on to Columbus, Ohio, was pro at Columbus Country Club, and was actually a golf architect there. He designed their par three course and then did another course in the, the Columbus area. And then he had a son, Johnny Lorms. Johnny was NCAA champion at Ohio State and was a great player. So I have a lot of fond memories of Johnny Lorms and my dad teaching me the game. And Johnny would uh, come to see us and play golf with the family. And he would always try and show me some shot, uh, some trick shot, or, and every time I'm in a bunker and I get over a shot, I'm thinking of my Uncle Johnny Lorms because he taught me how to hit bunker shots. And, uh, you know, a lot of great family memories there, Guy. You know, it's a, it's funny. In our family growing up, you can see it was just all golf. All we did was play golf. We didn't we didn't hunt. We didn't fish. We played golf. You know, Mom and Dad take you to the course. That that was a great life. My type of family there, Tom. <laughs> I mean, that's an, that's an incredible lineage. So with having a great 
grandfather that was a superintendent and a grandfather that was a pro and you're an architect and obviously on these projects all three of those positions have to work together how are your relationships now with the pros and superintendents that you work with and how important is it having a good cohesion amongst that group when you're on site well it's the key to success in the golf industry i mean we're all in the golf business we're all serving golfers we're helping people enjoy the game and it is a something that we all do together there's many many jobs in golf and and they're all very very important and if you're going to have a great course you know you need you need a great pro you need an excellent superintendent a lot of guys working hard on the course and so you know in my career because I kind of grew up in this and I you know as a teenager I I worked for a pro and and worked in, in golf and you know I've always tried to seek out the employees of the club and develop a relationship with them and understand their needs, you know, before we ever get started. Um, I, th- I think, um, you know, my, my success in my career has been trying to stay close to golf course superintendents and listen to golf course superintendents and, and be their voice and help them with their needs at, at their course. Um, oftentimes, um, you know, the architect gets hired and is brought in and there's a desire to do a project, and then you find out, well, Gosh, the maintenance team, you know, needs equipment. They need mowers. There's, there's other things going on, and you can become a voice for how to uh, help a club get better. And, and golf maintenance is, is the key to every day enjoying a round of golf. So, I think I've stayed close to superintendents and try to help support superintendents. And then, you know, the pro shop, the pro is listening to the customer, touching the customer every day, and a lot of feedback, positive feedback gets through the pro shop. So you've got to understand that side of the business and, and keep that in, involved. You can learn a lot about comments about what people think about the golf course by speaking to the golf professional and walking the golf course. So I've always tried to draw on the golf pro and go walk the golf course before I start talking about it. Um, listen to the golf pro, understand how the course is played, what's important. You can learn a lot by just uh, getting out of the golf course and, and listening to the staff. What was your first project with Tom Fazio? I started off in our, we had an office in Jupiter, Florida. I started as a draftsman, uh, just getting plans out the door. Jan Beljan was running our office at that time, so I started off as Jan Beljan's draftsman in our Jupiter, Florida office. So I would help Jan um, you know, get the plans done, get the specs done, put things together. And it was interesting back again in 83, 84, guy before there was FedEx and before there was even you know, faxes and, and email, um, we would work on plan sets for Tom and with Tom in the office, and then we would put them in a tube, drive to the West Palm Beach Airport, and put them on a plane to ship the planes, the plans out to the, to the client. And so Jan and I would work till the end of the day with Tom, draw these plans up, put them in a tube, run to the airport, and arrange a courier to pick up the drawings when they were delivered to the client. And, you know, that was the early days of golf design, which is gone now. You know, FedEx is, is available, and you, you just they pick up the plans, and they get there the next day. And, and, you know, back when we were working in the 80s, that wasn't the case. You had to, like, orchestrate all that and make it happen and, and courier and, and so that was a different time, but but with Tom, I think I, I I worked in the office and helped with plan production. Then it came time to learn about construction, and uh, I had an opportunity to. My first trip was to 
built in Barton Creek in Austin, Texas. And uh, Andy Banfield was heading up that project for Tom, and, and Tom thought I was ready to kind of learn work in the field. So I went to Austin, and uh, we had an apartment, and we started building Barton Creek, the first course at Barton Creek, um, which was a lot of fun. Mike Strantz was there. Mike, Mike and Andy and I worked together on that. And, uh, you know, what a great team to to get to be out on a piece of property and walk it and uh, with with you know, our talented staff teaching me how to how to think on a golf course. And then my next project was we, we got a commission to, in the mountains of western North Carolina to do the Wade Hampton Club in Cashiers for William McKee. And uh, I ended up leaving Austin and moving to Wade Hampton and living on site for a year and a half to build the Wade Hampton Club, which is now our highest-ranked golf course in, in our company. It's in Golf Digest, ranked number 25 in the top 100 guy. And so living in Cashers and carving out the site, a beautiful mountain site, um, was really the, the first golf course that I was at every single day from start to finish. A lot's happened through the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now in the 2020s. And Fazio Design is still doing a high volume of work. What has made your firm so successful and able to endure over such a long period of time in your mind? Well, it's obviously it's Tom Fazio. I mean, the connection is Tom. He he prides himself as being a very good listener. He listens to the clients, and I think when you're when you see the difference in our firm, guys, you say well, you know how our firm's different. Um, we listen to the client and we write down the business plan that they need to be successful. Um, it's not like we're going to come out and just lay some golf course on the ground based on our vision. We don't we do not do that. We listen to the client, and we define the business of this particular golf course. And every golf course design should cater to what you're going to end up running the facility as. And if it was a if it's a resort or daily fee golf course and you're going to play 40,000 rounds a year and play a lot of golf, well, then you, you obviously need big greens. You need big greens to move the hole around so the turfs can recover. In our minds, you listen to that business plan, and then and then you lay out the golf course based on what does that course need. If it's a private club and you're going to play 8,000 rounds, well, you can play. You can have smaller greens, and you can have maybe a little bit harder golf course to play. So the business plan and making sure when we leave, when we get done with your golf course, that you as a business, you as an owner, you have a chance to be successful. That's what we do. That's what we do, and, and Tom has taught that to all of us. So I think that has led to the success, you know, decade, decade, decade. We continue to make solid golf courses that are fun to play, that are, that are beautiful, that are strategic, and our clients have a chance to be successful with their goal of having their own golf course that, that we've helped them put on the ground. A lot of the courses – you've designed are on their second generation or the second part of their life cycle. How do you approach returning to some of the courses where you worked in the past? Well, we're fortunate to, to get called back and, and asked to stay involved with a lot of the, the clubs we've built. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Tom and I have had the opportunity, based on our longevity, to uh, go back to an existing course that we did once before and then either retool it and, and improve it bunker renovations or building new greens when the soil needs it or regrassing golf courses to new turf. Uh, we get involved in all of those things. I'd say we, we also sometimes the business plan will change at a club and they'll come back and they'll want a brand new layout on top of the old one. So we've been fortunate to uh, 
a new design, a new a new golf course on top of the old golf course, which is a lot of fun. So you know, we've been fortunate and, and blessed to, to go back and help the clubs. The bulk of what I'm doing this year and, and next year is taking care of Fazio golf courses by doing long-range master plans. Um, some of my work for next year, I'll be back at our course in Chicago, Butler National. We're doing a master plan there to help the members just get ready for the next period of time. Um, there's a course that uh, Logan Fazio did in, in Connecticut, Bulls Bridge, and uh, they've just hired us to come back and do a long-range master plan as well. Um, I'm also working uh, at Nassau Country Club in Long Island. We're going to do a bunker renovation and put a brand-new design on the ground with new bunker locations and low-cut turf around the greens at Nassau, and that's a lot of fun. Um, we're helping out at our course right now at Firestone in Akron, Ohio, the, the West Course which recently changed its name to the Fazio course. We're working for Firestone, putting in a new bunker style there. And uh, so we're, we're fortunate to have these initial relationships and then develop that guy into staying involved, helping a club walk through time, and then come back when they need it to improve bunkers or retool a golf course through master planning. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. I was at Firestone three weeks ago. I think it was the second day that construction started. I was there working on a story and doing some tours for an operations profile. That course opened in the early 2000s, the Fazio course at Firestone. How much has bunker style and approach changed in the, in the last 20 years? Well, it was interesting when we did that, and it opened in 2002. Our mission there was to try to give them a golf course that kind of would garner some play away from their tournament golf course, which is the South. The South is the great course at Firestone, and and this West course was wrapping around the South course. The, the, the South course is kind of in the center of the property, and the West course traverses around the perimeter of the South. So um, at, at that time, Club Corps was trying to get more play and, and a reason to come to Firestone other than playing the South course. So they wanted a golf course that would garner some attention and another reason to come and, and stay at Firestone. The, the north course there across the street is a beautiful site. It's got more terrain and big lakes, and a lot of people love the north course, and I do too. It's a great course at Firestone, and that's beautiful too. So you know, it was, with two great golf courses, it was tough for us to come in there and put something on the ground that would compete with the, what they already had. So it was a lot of fun. We walked the golf course with the pro at that time was Don Padgett, Don had been at Firestone a long time. He would walk the holes with Tom Fazio and I, and we'd lay out the golf strategy on the ground, and and Don was very, very involved in that. So that golf course was larger greens because they wanted to play a lot of play um, and well bunkered and a a combination of kind of some short holes and some really long holes on that golf course and birdie holes and then tough holes, and it it had a nice flow to it. It, you, You play the golf course there, and you you have a chance to get a stroke back on the next hole, and then, and then you're going to play a hole that's really tough. So that bunker style that we put on the ground was was sculpted at that time and, and difficult. And, and I think now, as you move roll forward with changing in golf maintenance, the need now is just to be able to take care of a golf course and reduce man hours because of the, the tough part. I think, Guy, and we're seeing across the board in America now, it's golf maintenance is getting you know, it's tough to hire staff um, and for, to keep the game affordable and, and pay a living wage. Um, 
you've got to be able to clean the golf course up and get it mowed and get it played a little faster. So we're evolving, we're changing to meet the need of the industry right now by creating a simpler bunker style with turf that can, you can drive the mower around the perimeter of the bunker, cut the grass, and move on. And, and, and so we're doing a smooth edge bunker that is easier to maintain but has a classic look. And, and so now we're evolving the course we did in 2002 where they're working now and kind of putting a style of bunker that's, that's less man hours and also a great strategic placement of the bunker. The bunker's in the right yardage. The bunker's in the right spot, and but less man hours. So um, we're looking forward to that. Uh, we should be finished um, with this work and, and play the golf course next year with the new product on the ground. Uh, the golf course contractor, Aspen, is there. Uh, and they're doing a great job, so we're, we're enjoying that time at Firestone. Yeah, speaking of uh, course improvements and infrastructure, I'm holding a great document that you sent me, the Golf Course Items Expected Life Cycle document by the American Society of Golf Course Architects. Tom, you were heavily involved in producing this document. Uh, explain it to our listeners, and where can they get their hands on this? Sure. The life cycle chart can be found at the, at the ASGCA website, asgca.org. And there's a, a key and tab that you can pull down to get the documents there. So if you went to our site, you'd be able to find it. What is it? Um, the life cycle chart is, an, is a tool for golf courses to help everyone understand the, the life cycle, how long would parts of a golf course last, and when might they need to be replaced. So it's a very simple chart guy. On one column on the left-hand side of the page is the list of all the infrastructure items of golf courses, cart paths, tees, bunkers, irrigation systems, drainage, pipe, green, greens. Everything's listed on the left side. And then the next column on the right is the age range. How long would you expect a driving range tee to last before it's uneven and unlevel and need to be rebuilt? So. This was a very simple idea to just try to put some time frames so that if you own a golf course or if you work at a golf course, you would say, well, when are we going to need to do our bunkers again? Or how long will the grass on the greens last? How long will the USGA green last before it needs repair, replacement? So the goal of this was to put some time to this and, and have a structure in place that everybody could pick up this and use it as a guideline for running their golf club. Um, I learned this through all the master planning that, that I'd done um, with Tom Fazio and traveling to all these clubs and working for clubs. You start to see patterns that you know, seven to ten years after a bunker is built, it starts to degrade. The sand quality starts to decline. Uh, you start to hear playability issues from members. Usually by year 7 to 10, there's a lot of concern or, or comments from players about bunkers. So you start to see these time frames, and they would repeat and repeat as you were moving around the country. So it, it was logical to, from what you've learned in the industry to put this chart together. And in 2005, um, the ASGCA membership decided, well, this is a good thing. We should share what we've learned. And I was fortunate at that time to be involved as an officer at the ASGCA. I was president in 2005 and 2006, and we decided then to take this information that we put together on this life cycle chart and put it in front of all the allied associations and, and show it to them and ask them, hey, take a look at this. Here's, here's some things that we've brought up. What do you think? What is the time? 
How long do you think a bunker lasts? How long do you think a driving range teal lasts? How long should an irrigation system last? And, and so we gave that to all the Allied Association members from the ASGCA, Chad Ritterbush, and I got in airplanes, and we went to everybody's in the industry's office and put it down and said, we're going to give you some time to look at this. We're going to come back to you after you've had some time to look at this, and we're going to adjust these dates to where you'll agree to them. And right in the first meeting, we said, we'd like to have your logo on this. We need your logo to ride on the bottom of this page so that we can say, hey, this isn't a self-serving document for golf architects. This is something that the industry has done together. All golf associations have had a chance to filter this and, and publish together an outline of parts of a golf course and how long they last. So it was a great tool, Guy. I think you know people rallied around it. People got excited about it because there was a need. There was a void. This didn't exist. It, the game had never done this before. So this knowledge and getting this out to club is, is a real help. And so this life cycle chart has been uh, widely used by golf course superintendents, golf pros, general managers, golf course owners to help educate their members and their players that, hey, we're going to need to work on the golf course again. We're going to need to go back and do new bunkers, and here's why. You know, they're old. The, the drainage in the bottom of the bunkers is starting to fail. We need to put new liners in the bunker. We need new sand. So this chart becomes the vehicle to help educate people, teach them, the timing of replacement of infrastructure. And you look at the chart, I mean, greens, 15 to 30 years, irrigation system, 10 to 30 years, pump station, 15 to 20 years, tees, 15 to 20 years. A lot of golf courses were built in the 90s and early 2000s that are coming up on some of these time frames. Tom, what happens to these golf courses if some of these things on this chart aren't done in proper time? Well, it's interesting, Guy. You know, any trained eye, when you get out on a golf course, and see it for the first time, you can see the, the things of the parts of a golf course that look great and present well, but you can also start to pick up the things that have not been taken care of or time has broken them down, weather has broken them down. So, um, you know, as you walk through time, things start to break down naturally if you don't repair them prior to them falling apart. You know, you end up with a golf course with portions of the work in disrepair. Uh, it's frustrating for golf course superintendents. Um, you know, they spend a lot of time on older irrigation systems having to fix leaking pipe or leaking fittings, and a lot of time, energy, and effort is put into a, an old or an antiquated irrigation system that needs to be repaired. Um, you know, today with better technology of sprinklers, we have ro rotors that spin and put out less gallons per minute, and we can conserve water by having a new sprinkler head out there. That So this process of just understanding the life cycle chart, understanding golf course infrastructure, hopefully this leads to getting these replacements done on time and a better round of golf, a more enjoyable round of golf, a golf course that's in better condition because, hey, we knew that, hey, in five years we're going to need to rebuild the driving range tee because it's going to be uneven, it's going to be unlevel, it's going to be bumpy. So we're going to need to resurface that and smooth it up. So by pre-programming this into a budget and into a schedule, we can get out in front of this and know that this is coming to us and aim at these projects in advance to help a golf course present better to players. Okay, we're going to switch this up and go back to some more personal questions here, Tom. I can't imagine the number of I can't believe this is happening moments you've had 
throughout your career with some of the sites <laughs> you've been on. What are some of those that you'll just never forget? Oh, wow. Well, you know, we've been we've been fortunate in our lives to work for so many great places. But uh, the first story when you said this popped into my head, um, being with Tom and, and an opportunity um, a long time ago, the, the par three course at Augusta National that was was done by George Cobb, a nine-hole par three. And then we had a chance, um, 85, 86, to help um, the club who wanted to have some golf in some other areas and extend the area for the par three. So we got to do two new holes on the par three course at Augusta. And that was, uh, you know, what a thrill. You're standing there going like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm standing beside Tom Fazio, and we're about to uh, help Augusta National Golf Club. So that was a lot of fun. It's a funny story there. We were um, going out, Tom and I were going out to meet the chairman, and we were going to stake these par three holes, and we were going over to Eisenhower Pond, which is down the hill away from what was the old ninth hole of the George Cobb par three. So we walked down the hill to this lake to stake these golf holes out, and, and we've got drawings, and we've got a hammer, and we've got stakes. And and uh, who's down on the lake is uh, Sam Sneed. Sam Sneed's sitting there with a fishing rod, and he's got a line in the water, and he sees Tom Fazio and Horde Harden come walking up, and I'm running behind him carrying all this stuff. And, and Sam looks up at us, and he says, oh, no, he says, you're not going to ruin this perfectly good fishing hole by putting more golf holes in here, are you? So, you know, that story with Sam and, and looking at Sam fishing, and, and, you know, I'll remember that to the day I die. It was a great, you know, one of those pinch-yourself experiences uh, in your life. Well, wow, that's a, a terrific story, and you've had a lot of those. A lot of your ASGCA colleagues have started their own firms, right? You still work for a big firm at, at, at Fazio Design. Have you ever thought about would it be like going on your own, or has it always been you've just wanted to work with Tom Fazio, no, no matter what the circumstances are? Well, you, you get asked that all the time, and I, you know, I guess again, it gets back to to Tom and and what a great human being he is, what a great boss he is, what a great friend he is, and 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 how positive he is to the energy that you get to to be around Tom and the great things that you get to do in your life and. You know, guy, it's funny in your life. You know, I, I was probably a goal of mine when I was younger to to have my own firm and to do all those things. And but you know, in, in life, you know, sometimes great things come along and things go your way in life. And you know, the, the one of the great lessons in life, guy, is to if you've got something great going on in your life and it's positive and it's fun and you're enjoying it, don't mess it up. You know, enjoy each day. Keep going. Um, you know, in this life, I've chose to be with Tom and stay with Tom because it's been fun, and we've done some great things. We've, you know, we've I've worked in six countries and helped Tom with golf courses all around the world. So it's it's always a blast. It's always a good day, and and I couldn't imagine, you know, with the the friendship that we have, the bond that we have with everybody in our company. We're all good friends, and we're we're family. We take care of each other. And having that in your life and the stability of a long career, you know, many people don't have that. I've learned to embrace it, to enjoy it, and uh, you know, why, why would you walk away from that? Well, I had some other questions, but why mess up a perfect podcasting end? That was a great way to end it. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a lot of fun, and congratulations on everything that you have achieved. 
Oh, thank you so much, Guy. I really appreciate this opportunity to be with you. Thank you very much.